Well, it's good to be with all of you tonight, and we have a subject that we want to consider together and look at, and when I was a little boy, I had two grandfathers who loved this subject. You could not go to their house on a Sunday or, or any time in the week in which neither one of these men of God would not have talked about the coming of Jesus Christ. It was so deep in their heart, I can remember as a young man, a young little guy, realizing, you know, this is so serious, I won't even ever get to be 16 and drive a car. They really believed it. It was a passionate, burning, fervent desire of their hearts. I remember the time thinking, well, I will never get married, for sure. I remember one of my grandpas saying one time, we will never see a time that man gets to the moon. The Lord will come before that. And here we are, a long ways away from that, and we're right here tonight, and I want to take this evening to commit it to this precious subject of the return of Jesus Christ. And I want to look into the book of 2 Peter chapter 3 with you tonight. This is one of the foundational base reference chapters when we think of this great subject. Really, uh, many, many messages have been preached from this, this chapter. It has spoken many times about this mighty subject. And when you look at this subject, it has been also a place of great controversy. I remember the time that I read this book, 88 Reasons Why God Would Come in 88. He didn't come. And then I saw another time when someone says, well, I think it was out here in Arizona. A group of people are going to get together and sell everything because Jesus was coming. He didn't come. Now, here's something I saw in our generation. I'm a little bit older than some of you, but a lot younger than some of you. We kind of backed back, stepped back and said, hold it. I don't get this. It looks like this subject gets so controversial, out of us focus on living the Christian life. But what we forget is 25% of the Bible I have read is indirectly or directly referring to the coming of Jesus Christ. And there's another great truth about that, and that is when the coming of Jesus Christ is referred to in the Bible, you will find few exceptions when that there is not a call to holy living. Right with that message is a call to every one of God's children to live holy lives. Let's look in God's Word tonight, and we'll begin to read through this and let God just speak to all of us. Now, Peter is writing to uh, strangers as he wrote the first, chapter, first epistle scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. Now, in 2 Peter, he speaks to those who have obtained like precious faith. You know, we don't know a lot of you, but we've got to know some of you pretty well, and probably many, many Christians can identify with Peter. You grow up a little bit, you stub your toe, you make a mistake, you blurt something out, you learn a lesson from God, and this was the Peter of the Bible. The man that said, well, if everyone else leaves you, Lord, not me, I'll be the guy. And then he was also the guy that went out and wept bitterly. He was the man that the Lord looked to, and he said, Simon, son of Jonas, do you love me more than these? But I want us to think of this in light of Second Peter that we're going to go into tonight. By this time, 
Here is a faltering, fumbling, failing man that had found the power of the Holy Spirit and had risen to walk in, in Christ Jesus. And you will find very few flaws left in the spiritual character of this man in 2 Peter. You're seeing a servant. You're seeing a man pursuing God with his whole heart. It's an amazing thing when you look in the life of how God could take people like us, give God time, open these hands and open these hearts like we just sung, and God begins to take fallible people and raises them up to be mighty in his kingdom. This is who every person in this room is this evening. Everyone. We don't have any idea what God can do in any life here when we just give him our heart and let grace have a chance. Peter was writing an epistle. When he failed his Lord, he probably said, that's it, I'm done. And it wasn't once or twice or three times. He just kept stumbling. And you know what I love, and we're going to see this tonight in light of the return of the Lord, we serve a God that doesn't let go, a God that will not give up, a God that will pursue us in the darkest, blackest alley we may ever want to hide from him from, and he will pursue us there in his love. Now, Peter begins, this is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you in which I am stirring up your sincere minds by way of remembrance. Now, notice Peter's affection for this group of people, beloved. He's came back again. I've always loved that, Paul, to the Corinthians. You see this again, to the Thessalonians, I'll do it again. I'll come back again. I love you. Here's what he's doing to Peter. The second letter I'm writing to you in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of remembrance. Kind of an interesting thing here. On one side he's saying, I'm stirring you up. But you're really sincere. You really, really are. You're interested in God, the things of the Lord. You want to pursue him. That you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. And here, Peter is reminding them that what I'm going to write about has been recorded again and again and again in the Word of God. Even as we look into this subject tonight, we're going to recognize that uh, it's everywhere. I'll just touch a little bit. The Holy Spirit will touch you somewhere else. The power of tonight is that the Holy Spirit comes into your life. You walk out these doors, you take the Word of God, and you pursue it further. But Peter says, I want to stir you up. You need to be challenged. You become lethargic. You know, I don't know why it's this way, but in, up in Washington, we were involved in apples, and we had ponds. It's one of the greatest ways to manage water. You should build a pond. We build a couple ponds where we... we, we we water our trees, our apple trees. But you can go to the pond, and one of the things a grower will do, he'll go and check the pond. And when you go to the pond, and these are like million-gallon ponds, when you see stagnation, you know something's not working right in the pond because you're balancing the ponds as good as you can. What we're doing in a simple term in ponds, in water irrigation, water management, is water in, water out. Water in, water out. There has to be a flow. When the flow stops, stagnation sits in. 
It would be wrong for me to tell you tonight I've never had stagnation. It is a challenge of every Christian's life to lose the passion, to lose the fire, to lose something within us that I've read before in the early church that one of the great ways in which they would encourage each other is they just walk up to each other and say, Brother, Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. Now, like you, for you women, now Peter says, I'm just writing this because I've got to stir you up. I've got to challenge you. That this passage of Scripture has stopped me at times when I was so busy doing good things, and God says, stop. I've got to stir you up. It's so easy to become apathetic. Who cares? They all do that. Forget that. And Peter says, I'm going to stir you up. Now, like for you, sis, you women here, think about in cooking, you can take uh, six or seven of the most wonderful ingredients. You can get, get them down at the best, your favorite store, call it whatever. And you can put them on, on top of the oven, but unless you take those ingredients and move them together and stir them, they will be worthless. And you'll just have five different burnt ingredients. It's the, way, the same way at the Christian life. Within this church even tonight, we've got a lot of believers. Do you have any idea how many gifts are here tonight? How many places this, this small group tonight can touch the kingdom of God? But there's only one way it's going to happen. God's got to rock our boats. He's got to shake our foundations. He's got to take us like the eagle, the little eaglet, and push us out of the nest and let us flounder. He's got to see us surrender again and again and again. He's got to take away all the answers. Matter of fact, on this subject, I used to always think, well, these are the five basic points. I've come down to, I know three or four. I know Jesus is coming again. I know that. The Word of God declares it. It just shouts it throughout the Bible. I'm coming again. I also know the Word of God says He's going to come in an hour that many don't think He's going to come. I know that. I also know that there's going to be great things that are going to happen around the time of his return. We'll see it tonight. I know that. I also know there's a great call to the church of Christ to watch, be ready. I know that. But there's a lot we don't know. I don't believe there will be anyone when Jesus Christ comes back that says, if you would have just read my book, we'd have it all right. We used to, one thing we did as a younger guy, we would take young men up in the high Sierras, way up, about 10,000 feet, and we'd backpack, and we'd take young guys uh, between about 14 and 18. We'd load them up with between 35 and 50 pounds in their back, and we'd have to go up, climb up chutes, and we'd get up there, and these young guys had never done anything like this in their life, and we loaded them up with food. Matter of fact, for some of you, I think it's kind of interesting, but one thing we did, too, is because we knew they weren't very good cooks, we always brought a can of Denny Moore beef stew. Because we knew if they blew it and everything else, we could, uh, we could clean it up with Denny Moore beef stew. But you take these guys and put them in like three and four groups, and you've got the vegetables, and you guys have got the potatoes, and you guys over here have got the meat. And you work the vegetables and potatoes and meat, and many of them have never cooked before. Many have never been in the mountains like that. And you know what happens almost every time? 
What'd you say? Well, yeah, it's close to Denny Moore. Yeah. What happens many, many times when you do that is that uh, these guys burn the stuff and they don't get it turned right. And pretty soon you walk through these little camps that are cooking and you think, how could they do this? And almost every time, without exception, you know what we finally do? We just put it all together in a big old pile and call it stir fry. And it really tasted good. Now, as we think about God stirring us up, that's what he does too. One of the ways he stirs us up, he puts us together. A threefold cord isn't easily broken. And he's writing to people together. He's, he's writing to people like you and I who are called to be together. Someone else has a gift I don't have. Someone else sees things I don't see. Someone else here goes where I do not go. And he puts us all together. And he calls it his church, his bride, his beloved. He says, I love them with an everlasting love. And Peter writes, I want to stir you up. I want to do this, stir up your sincere minds. You know, some of us are more timid. Some of us are more forward. Timothy was more timid. Paul wrote to Timothy, and he says, Timothy, I want to stir up the gift of God in you with the laying on of your hands. Timothy, I've got to challenge you. Tonight, someone needs to be challenged. There's another place we need to be challenged, too. Paul wrote in Philippians I know how, how to be both abased and abound. Everywhere in all things, I'm instructed to be both full and be hungry. Paul charged ahead. Sometimes God says, Paul, stop. So he puts a thorn in the flesh in him to stop him, a messenger of Satan. But when you get into this subject and you allow God's word to penetrate your heart, it will stir you. It will challenge you. It will take you to places you never thought. And we begin to live differently, and we're going to see this as we look a little further into this. In verse 3, Peter writes, and he says, Know this, first of all. Get this down, right in the very top. First of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following, following after their own lust. Now, I, put a little, I wrote right beside my Bible here tonight, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Now, I'm not a fatalist. I believe God's working powerfully, but sometimes we get surprised when we see a world that doesn't respond to spiritual things, and the Word of God teaches that very clearly. Paul again instructed Timothy, I want you to know that in the last days, Timothy, there will be perilous times. Men will be self-lovers. They will love pleasure more than God. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that in the latter time, some will depart from the faith. They will give heed even to seducing spirits all around every church. I, you know, this is one of the things that's a burden in the heart of uh, uh, every one of us, I believe, that God will protect this church from evil spirits, seducing spirits, doctrines of devils. But he says there will come the last days mockers who will come with their mocking, following their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming for ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue just as they were from the beginning of creation. Maybe it goes a little bit like the stock market. I, I understand this. They work in cycles. Cool down, settle down, don't get too worked up. It's going to come back. I've seen it come and go. All of these ebbs and flows just keep on going. Now the Word of God says it will not last like that. There's going to be a major interruption of the ebbs and flows. I don't care what philosophy teacher says differently. 
what great scientist says differently, there will be a major interruption when the, whole, when the Lord comes back in this earth. And preceding this, we'll see something else, and you'll find this. I will not have the time tonight, but you'll go into the book of Revelation. You'll see the seals and trumpets and vials. God's interrupting the general course of mankind. Even in America, what we have is so abnormal. We call this normal Christianity. And just the three weeks, we'll go into places that are really different. Really different. But here he says, where is the promise of his coming? And they said, hold it. No, hold it, hold it. The Father's full of sheep. And everything continues as it was in the beginning. We know. And, for, and when they maintain this, it exists. It escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of the water and by the water through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. Peter's writing, all we got to do is look. All we have to do is know a little history. Look around us. Look at the mountains. Look at the stars. God's moved before. He'll move again. We don't want to forget this because it is so important in light of where we're living today. You know, sometimes you can look at a clock and you can say, well, I wonder where we are. This clock appears at 720. Well, I wonder where we are in God's time clock. Are we at, uh, if midnight is when he returns, where are we? We can say this, last, last, last Saturday we had two memorial services here. Next Saturday we have another one. There's another return. And there's also another desire of God's heart for him to return into our hearts. But notice this, it says the world was destroyed. And there's other translations that say that they choose to be willingly ignorant. You've got to close your mind to the great evidences that surround you to say there's no God. Psalm says it takes a fool to say that. It's too real. Look at the stars. Look at the sky. Look at your brother. Look at your sister. Look at someone whose life has been turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. There's only one person that can do that, and that is the King of kings and Lord of lords. We can't do it. We can't mop up people. We cannot change people's lives. God can through his Holy Spirit, his word working within us. But here Peter is saying this, look around. And it says, but by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. I don't know if you've ever done this. Uh, just stopped. You look, you're in a mall, and you look at people, and you realize it's either heaven or hell. They're saved or they're lost. You see, sometimes we begin to think as we fall into lethargy, that this is just a nice way of life. And the world loves to hear that. It isn't a nice way of life. It is the only way, the truth, and the life. Jesus. Jesus himself said in John 10, there is no other way. There's no other door. If any man goes even up another door, he's like a thief and a robber. But sometimes we just fall into that. Maybe life just becomes hard or life becomes easy. Or we just kind of, I've wondered at times, even as he speaks about these uh, mockers, if it almost can't, it can't be even sometimes we Christians in some ways, that we say, well, oh well, we just get kind of cynical. Have you ever been there? Just a critical spirit. 
a, a cynical spirit, just, oh, well, that's just the way they are. That's just what happens in life. But Peter says, I, I need to stir you up tonight. Now, you would have, in the context of this writing, these people were suffering. Sometimes they think, well, we just suffer. You know, if we look, we are suffering. The Word of God even says, everyone who lives godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Everyone. But Peter goes on and he says, he, he says in verse 8, and this is so important because it puts things in a perspective that we can easily forget. But do not let this one fact escape your notice. Hang on to this one. Beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. God's time frame is not our time frame. God thinks differently. I believe Moses said it one time in the Psalms. He said, we spend our years like a tail is told. We're like grass. And for God, everything is the same. He is eternal. And he says, don't forget, God works in a different time frame. Here's one we fell into. I just say this regarding the Christian church. We start putting time frames on, and pretty soon we're sure it's all going to happen in our lifetime. God doesn't have to tell us when it's going to happen. He doesn't. He says, you'll see signs, you'll see indicators, but even Jesus himself said, I don't even know. I don't know. Only the Father. This was reserved for the Father, which was in heaven. It's off limits for me. But it's a temptation. I mean, I can remember reading books as a younger guy, and I love to read many, many, many books in Bible prophecy, and I'd get so pumped up. And we'd have someone over, and, and about Wednesday, I'm going to tell them all about the book, and I already forgot about it. You see, you get it in the Word of God, you remember it. You get it from a man, you kind of forget it. But here in this one here, he says, for, don't forget this, that God has an eternal perspective that is completely different than ours. We're here for a blink. We got one breath. We got 70 years. We're out of here. And during that time, we live, we die, we get up, we go to bed, we eat, we put on clothes, we work, we die, we serve, and praise God, many, many of you are serving and blessing and and realizing time is short, and you're reaching out to neighbors and friends and, and uh, doing what you can to share the gospel. And that is tremendous. Verse 9 is a, a verse that shows the heart of God. It is easy to forget. God loves humanity. Here's what it says. The Lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all, for all to come to repentance. I'm going to ask you tonight, is there anyone here that has someone on their heart, someone that you, that you want to see re respond to Jesus before it's too late? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Is there anyone that doesn't? You know, if, if we want to see him, them, I got a grandson, Deb just told me on the way down, he's just ready to turn 18. Tough guy, big guy, but still resisting. I want to see him in heaven. Some of you have shared about your family. And whatever we have sensed, what's came to us in prayer, the passion of our heart, because we don't want to see someone 
die, go to hell. God cares so much more. The Word of God says that hell wasn't even made for man. It was made for the devil and his angels in Revelation. He didn't, God didn't want man to miss what he created. I get a picture of the Lord. It's like he's put together this one. He, go, he, he has put together heaven, and he's put together its glories and its magnificence, its beauties. And he's like, I can't wait for you to come. I can't wait for you to come. I want to show you, I want to show you my love. I know David himself said it like this in the Psalms. He says, I don't know a lot about it, but I know this, that when I awake in the likeness of God, I'll be satisfied. That's enough. He's saying God will give me everything. He will supply every need according, just every way he, he wants to. And, and I praise God. Oh, out here's a brother, Brother Don, that just uh, told his wife goodbye very recently. She's satisfied, Don in the Lord tonight. But you know what the Word of God says? The heart of God, the heartbeat of God doesn't want one person to miss. Not one person. Not one. You know, sometimes I'm like you. It's like I've invested enough time in that person. I'm moving over here. That's not God. God keeps pursuing them. He keeps following them. Turn with me to a verse that's really precious in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18. And again, it's just a little tiny window that God can illuminate into our, our hearts. Isaiah 30, verse 18. And it's just, a, it's just a really precious verse. He doesn't want one person to miss eternity. And the Bible says here, therefore the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He longs to. You know, one of the problems that we have with God is we stiff-arm Him like a running back running with the football. We want to go to the goal line we think is right. And the Word of God says here, the Lord the, therefore the Lord longs to be gracious to you. And therefore He waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are all those who long for Him. I believe it's Lamentation 3. It says it's of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed. His compassions don't fail. How great is His faithfulness. I have wondered if the time comes when, when I stand before God. And the Word of God says every one of us will, everyone, if God will not look at, and I will see that grace and His love and His mercy is so much greater than I ever could comprehensively imagine. It was so much more about him that I even could grasp in the fullness of my, this little finite mind. But he waits. He doesn't give up. And if I could encourage you tonight, if there's anyone the Holy Spirit has brought to your heart tonight that you've let go in prayer tonight, confess that and bring them back to God. Take them back. I, I think of that wonderful story of the widow who went before that judge, that ungodly man, and she just kept knocking and knocking and saying, avenge me of my adversary. Give me my adversary. And finally, the unjust judge thought, said, I, I don't fear God. And I don't even regard man. But because this woman keeps coming, I will do that. And Jesus drew a lesson there. He said, I want you to hear what the unjust, unjust judge did. Won't God hear his own elect who cry night and day for him? When you utter a cry about your husband... 
your wife, your children, your friend. Does not God hear ears? But you know what he says then after that? When the Son of Man comes, will he find this kind of faith in the earth? Will he? Will he find people that are truly prayer warriors? We men that are involved in serving this church have met to say we need to stoke the furnace. Some of you have challenged us to do that, the prayer furnace of this church. This church will only be as powerful as it goes forward on its knees before God and its face in repentance. We find that throughout the Bible. But the Lord of God is just waiting to bless. He's got the person that we're, we've given up on in mind to bless, and he wants everyone to come to repentance. Probably most of you here have heard of uh, William Booth. Maybe you haven't. He was the one who was a founder of the Salvation Army. Uh, if you ever get a chance to read biographies about the man, kind, kind of very interesting. He was somewhat of an unorthodox guy, an evangelist, traveled out, came back home at night, and when William would come in the house, his clothes would be ripped often. He had been bleeding, and many times his wife's own testimonies would, he had taken a rock in the face. He was that passionate for souls. One time one, someone asked William, what happened in your life that really clicked, that really caught you? And he said, I was in London, England, one day witnessing to an atheist. I was sharing the gospel and told him, there is only one way, it's in Jesus, and there's only one door, it's through Jesus Christ. It's either heaven or hell. You either have Jesus or you don't. And I finished. And the man looked at me and he said, William, if I believe what you say you believe, if I truly believed it, I would be crawling on the crushed glass of London, pleading with souls to accept Jesus Christ before it's forever too late. And William said, those, those words just rang in me. Is there anyone here that thinks the church needs an awakening today? I believe every one of us do. God's saying, wake up. This is about eternity. It's about heaven or hell. And every one of us, is, the heart of God is he doesn't want our friends to miss it. He doesn't want our family to miss it. But more than that, he doesn't want the neighbor next door to miss it. He doesn't want our enemy to miss it. His heart just keeps beating. It keeps pounding. Verse 10 is uh, challenging because the Word of God tells us that God does have a time frame. There comes a time, the, you think about this, uh, one, years ago I heard an old pastor preach and he just says, the love of God is amazing, but the wrath of God is just as strong as his love. And someday he will unleash in his own justice his wrath. I don't, you think about that. We know this, God is perfectly just, and he is a justifier of those who believe in Jesus, Romans says. But here, the word of God says, the day of the Lord will come. It will come. Mark it down. You, we can put that in our calendar. I was jotting down uh, notes in the calendar with Deb this afternoon, off two to three months, four months, and all of a sudden I better get that one down every day. Today could be the day. The Apostle Paul believed that. He taught that. He said, we which are alive and remain. He lived his Christian life believing Jesus was coming. He didn't think he was ever going to see it. I remember one time hearing an old pastor preach, and he says, 
I will not see death. Because Jesus is going to come. But the word of God says the day of the Lord will come. Like a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away, they roar, the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its work shall be burned up. Man has his day, God has his day. Man has his time, God has his time. The Word of God says in the book of Galatians, it was in the fullness of time that God sent his Son. God loves sinners, but he hates sin. Sin has separated man from the very, very beginning of time from their Savior. God hates that. He loves sinners. He knows what can bring them back to him through his Son, Jesus Christ. The Word of God speaks about a very, very, very perilous time ahead. Some references, you'll find it as the abomination of desolation, a time probably somewhere in the middle of a 70th week of Daniel, seven years. The time of Jacob's trouble, another common word, is the great tribulation, somewhere around seven years of the most awful time the world has ever seen, ever, ever has seen, ever will see. An awful time. And the Word of God says, this time's going to come too. I think it was the Apostle Paul who was writing one time, and he says, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. He says, the passion of that terror is so deep in my heart that I will let it propel me to go to very difficult places and tell them, Jesus loves you. There's an, right in that same chapter, though, he says, he says something else. And it's a beautiful balance, brothers and sisters. The love of Christ constrains us. Two beautiful, beautiful blending balances that needs to be in every Christian's life as this passion deepens in our heart. Well, what would happen at your place if you knew this was the last week? If you knew next Monday morning at 6 o'clock Jesus was going to return? Be the same. I got a couple neighbors that I, I, I just, one, one just moved in. I told Deb, we, we've got to get them over. We've got to do something. But every time I go by, or you know what happens? They're out there, and I got my earpiece on. I'm talking to someone. But what would you do? What if God says, Monday morning at 6 o'clock, you're out of here? That's really what he says. We just don't know the time. We just got a little bit of time. We're out of here. But the Word of God just simply says that day of the Lord is going to become. And then he says, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Sometimes, brothers and sisters, and I will confess this myself to you tonight, we have allowed this to become the great theological debate of the ages to decide who is right. And we forgot the great big truth that this is to promote holiness in our life and humility and godliness. I really believe it's why the younger generation backed off of it. They said, I'm not interested in fighting over this, getting in an argument. But this great truth of the gospel is called to change your life. It is called to take us and bring out of us a holy walk in Jesus Christ. I don't know what that looks like to you tonight. Uh, holiness has a lot of different expressions that come to us. But uh, 
But if you keep looking into the text, you'll see a little bit more. Uh, he says, in all holy con- what sort of people ought you to be in all holy con- conduct and godliness? A godlike character. You know, I think of a story one time I read of this little boy who had set up an apple stand in Philadelphia right next to the subway. And, and there it was. He had it all set up, all ready to go. And the subway door opens and the people got out. And those of you who have been through the subways, everybody's running for the exit. And someone knocks over his apples and they go all over the whole ground. And the little boy stands there and cries. And finally, a, an old man get out, got out, got off the train, and he walked over there, and he began to pick up the apples one by one and wipe them off with his handkerchief, and he put them back in the box, and he gave the little boy a smile, and he left. And the little boy looked at him, and he said, Sir, are you Jesus? See, godliness has a lot of different expressions. Sometimes for some of us brothers, it's reaching across the line. We don't want to reach across by the power of the Spirit of God and love someone that's unlovable. It's forgiving someone that doesn't deserve forgiveness. But Peter says when all this is happening, make it right. Keep looking here. Looking for and hastening to the coming of the day of the Lord because because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. Peter's saying, it's moving fast. It's coming to the end. Many of you are older than I am. You're seeing how quick every season's going, every week is going, every day is going. And Peter says, looking and hasting for the day. You know what we've got left? Today, right now, that's it. There is no guarantees we have a sister out here that just a couple weeks ago, her husband was attacked. All you got to do is look anywhere you want to go. Our hospitals are full of people that never thought they were going to be there yesterday. And the Word of God says, looking and hastening for the coming of the day. See, it's just like this great big thing moving us toward the end. Someone says, well, but see, if, if we aren't here when Jesus returns, he's coming back anyway because we will see him face to face. You're going to die. The word of God says it's appointed man wants to die or after this the judgment. Or you'll see him coming. But that day is hastening. It's moving quickly. That's why Paul would even write and say, knowing the time, redeeming the time. Godliness for all of us sometimes is just simply saying, God, by your grace, from this day on, I'm going to redeem the time. I'm not going to waste the time that I've wasted. Letting time go through my fingers, the opportunities of life. But according to his promise, it says in verse 13, that according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now, brothers and sisters, friends that are here today, uh, we're not looking for some great traumatic event. We are looking for new heavens, new earth, as we look unto Jesus. Everything we do in our life, we are looking through that to Jesus. Peter says we're looking for new heavens, new earth. You know, we're in Israel. I believe in 88 was in Israel, and I was with the, with the guide, and the guide, was, it was a tough time. Soldiers everywhere. 
like about always is when, when some of you go back, it'll be like that. And, and I remember turning to my guide and I said, what do you think the answer is? He says, sir, the only answer to the problems with Israel and its neighbors is the return of Jesus Christ. You see, we are not going to fix the problems of the world. The Lord Jesus Christ will descend from heaven with a shout. He will come with the voice of the archangel. He will come with the trump of God. He will come and make everything right. But until that time, we keep looking to Jesus. He's going to make everything new. I am so thankful. You know what? You know one of the reasons God dashes our plans and flips things, things upside? He ought to stir us up. But he also does it to help us to realize this world isn't our home. We camp on this thing sometimes. We think this is going to be for eternity. And God says, I've, I've got in my love to disrupt your cycle. I've got to change it. Oh, I remember this time reading about this little man that poured his heart out over in England, Henry Morehouse, and he came back to the U.S. on a great big ship. And there was a diplomat getting off the ship at the same time Henry was. And the trumpets were blaring and the horns were blowing and the choirs were singing. And Henry began to weep. And he walked the streets and he says, Oh Lord, I have given the last three months in England and poured out my spirit. I hear nothing. Nothing. And all of a sudden a voice came to Henry and said, Henry, you're not home yet. You're not home yet. But it's getting close. I believe one place in the Word of God, Jesus said, when these things begin to come to pass, you look up. When these things start happening, when you see the indicators, the signs, get your eyes up there. One time I preached on this, and I just talked about the, down, the, the outlook, the down look, and the up look. And if you look here, you'll see this. Peter's saying, get your eyes up. Oh, I think we, most of us spend our life for a while thinking something here might satisfy, and the Lord shows us it's nothing apart from Jesus Christ. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. He just kept saying, I can, I can supply every need. And so Peter here has learned that. And he said, I'm looking for a new heaven. You know, it won't be long that this man's crucified upside down because he believed that he wasn't even worthy to be crucified in the like manner of his Lord. This is who he was by now. But now his heart was getting in heaven. And I believe, brothers, right here tonight, and sisters, dear friends, God is challenging us to turn those hearts toward heaven. Get them up. Sometimes God just says, lift your heart off of those things of the world. They'll drag you down. There's no hope. It's empty. Here comes this exhortation to holy living in verse 14. And oh, Peter loved those people. And I, I give this to you tonight in the love of the Lord Jesus. He says, therefore, beloved, we're brothers and sisters tonight. There is nothing that I've shared tonight that you cannot I, some way directly or inter, indirectly understand and identify. We have the same struggles. You know, sometimes I think we may do you a disservice. You may hear a message and think, wow, the guy's got it figured out. No, no. Preaching is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. That's what it is. We go back to the same fountain. We have the same great need. We are nothing without Jesus. But here's what Peter said. Beloved, seeing you look for these things, be diligent to be found in him in peace. 
spotless and blameless. You see, holiness is more than just I'll, I'll live a righteous life. It's also in peace. Maybe tonight, in peace, God is asking us to forgive someone that's wronged us. I don't know. In peace. You know, Isaiah in 32 has a really neat verse to it. It says, the work of righteousness is peace. It's, it's beautiful. But Peter says, be in peace. When I come back as the prince of peace, the king of kings, going to the Lord, I want peace in your heart. I want it. And he says, be diligent to be found of him in peace, spotless, through the blood of Jesus, and blameless, not perfect. Spotless. You stand on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Oh, there's one of these songs. I've been, I've been blessed by it recently. Some of you have probably been hearing it too. And it's just that song about, uh, maybe it's uh, Francisca, about when they fall, they will get back up. When the men fall, even in their own dishonesty and lack of integrity, they'll rise again. And Proverbs speaks about that, how a, a godly man might fall, but they'll come back. And I am so blessed by that. It's one of the great joys that has been in my own heart in the church of Christ where I've served is to watch people come back out of the ashes and out of the rubble and say, Jesus Christ is Lord. It is such a blessing because they can't do it. Christ can do it. He can do it within them. He can do it in every heart. Be diligent, the found of him in peace, spotless and blameless. He says, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. Never forget He never stops putting us in waiting rooms. You go into one waiting room, you think, I remember one time as a little guy, I bought a, I bought a Toyota pickup, and I thought, this will be my last decision of my life. And no, it's just the first of many, 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 many. God says, wait on the Lord. He'll strengthen your heart. He'll comfort you. Wait on God. Wait on God. God, I wonder if in eternity, God will not show us Possibly the judgment seat of Christ is some of the great spurts of growth in our life was when we were waiting on him. I do not know. I just, I've wondered. The word of God says it. You just count the long suffering of our Lord as salvation. How long has God waited for us to get it? I'm speaking about how many times have we been like the Apostle Paul going willful our own way. We had it all figured out and the Holy Spirit kept convicting and finally we got it. And God was there. He says here, regard the patience of our Lord of salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom of giving to him, wrote unto you, as also in all of his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which, in which are some things hard to be understood, which are the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the Scriptures of their own destruction. As you're waiting, stand on the word of God. But don't get lost like Paul exhorted Timothy in old wives' fables and foolish things that we, the opinions of men. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible teach? I remember the story of Harry Ironside. And Harry, I was sharing this with one of the brothers in the last few days. Harry Ironside went out and sat at the feet of an old saint as he was a, a young minister. And he wrote many books. We, we're blessed to be able to read those and have them in our library. And he listened to this old saint just pour the word and wisdom out of him. 
And Harry finally stopped as a young man and he says, where did you ever learn all of that? He says, on my face before God in a little grass hut as the Holy Spirit taught me. No matter where God calls you, don't ever forget the Spirit of God is your teacher. The Word of God says the anointing that you receive of Him will abide in you and you don't even have a need that any other man will teach you. I think we live in an age when if the enemy can just delude you, God does this in our lives. He finally says, take it away. Come back to me. I can give you everything you need according to my riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And the Word of God says, uh, don't get caught up in philosophies that don't major in the minors. Focus in the majors. Go back to those majors often. The return of Jesus is one. The grace of God is one. The love of God. The power of God. The work of God. Majors. Stay focused in the Lord Jesus Christ. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of the wicked, by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. I think the last time we spoke here, we spoke about the suffering church, and we've seen just a little peephole into it, but one thing I've learned over there is the enemy goes after them just like he does here. He will send a false doctrine, he will send a cult, he'll He'll, he'll send something to deny the resurrection or to deny the inerrancy of the Word of God or say the Bible's good, but you just need this. And those dear people get struck with that and smote with that, and they're just believing. What does the Bible say? Stand on it. Keep coming back. What does God's Word say? This is the Word of God. And you know this. Right here in this church is a revival that's happening. God is working mightily in your hearts. That is the Spirit bringing you in here tonight. Do you know what the enemy does? He doesn't like that. He'll do anything he can to pervert that power. He'll twist it. He'll distort it. He'll get us to react. Oftentimes one error begets two. He'll do whatever he can. He doesn't play fair. And Peter just exhorted them there. Just be careful. Don't fall from your own steadfastness. Now here's something I love about the return of Jesus Christ. And you have heard me tonight. And when I finish tonight, I want you guys to come back up and play one more song as we, as we pray and then lead in, in, in that. But, but I think sometimes uh, with me, like the rest of you guys, I'll, I'll read or hear something on this, maybe tonight, and we'll say, well, I don't understand all that. I don't know all of those things and when they fit and fulfilled prophecies. That's all. That's not just one sermon. That's, you could take that every day of the year here. But here's what Peter says. He says, I'm going to give you some simple things to, to grab onto tonight. As you leave, some things that will just bless you, strengthen you, stabilize you. The Word of God presents problems than solutions. The Word of God challenges us and gives us ways by His grace we can reach that challenge. He says, here's what you can do. Grow in grace. Keep growing. Whatever that means, just keep growing in Jesus. You know, every one of us are taking little baby steps. We're not taking giant steps. Every time we think we take a giant step, we just trip and fall. He says, grow, but grow in grace. And notice what else? And in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Just keep getting to know him better. Let him, let him love you with that everlasting love that he showed us at Calvary, that he showed us with the Son everywhere he went in this world. He showed us even through the prophets. He shows us through brothers and sisters today, but it says grow in grace. Just say, God, give me the grace to grow in you. You will never grow without grace. You can never aspire. You'll never get the right book. It will be grace that will cause growth in our lives. Only grace will make the difference in that way. And in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the last phrase here, he says to him, be glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Give God the glory. Give him the praise. Lift up his name in your hearts through, his, through your lips. Tonight, even as we've worshipped here, God gets the praise, but I've been blessed to not only sing with you, but to, to, to just to sense the countenances of those. And I'm blessed every Sunday here. I'm blessed as I hear the word of God. Grow with grace to the knowledge of our Lord and Jesus, Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory. He's worthy, both now and forever. And you know, there's just a lot of little verses in the Bible about this great subject. You could go to every one of these places and a message or two could be preached. But John wrote this and it, it just beat in the apostle, apostle's heart and he says, little children abide in him. Just abide in Jesus. That when he returns, we'll have confidence and never be ashamed at his coming. Jesus said like this, he said, occupy, be active till I come. Fill your life with the things of God till I come again. Another place it says, till I come, you give attendance, Paul told Timothy, to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. And Timothy, don't neglect the gift that's in you, that was given you, which is the laying on of hands. The Bible says this quite a few times. Watch. Watch. What I say unto all, I say unto one, I say unto all. Watch. You'll find this in the Gospels, you'll find it in the Epistles. Watch. Keep those spiritual eyes open. Be discerning to what's happening around you. Sometimes we've got to step away from the world. We've got to step away from the rush of the crowd. Watch. And Jesus said another word, word often, Behold, I come quickly. Revelation. My reward is with me to give to every person according to their works will be. I'm coming. I'm coming quickly. When he comes, it's over. It's too late. If you do not have Jesus, it's too late. But if you have Jesus and he comes, I'll tell you what, brothers and sisters, friends, it's a great homecoming. It'll be worth it all when we see Jesus. Some of you here are suffering in ways and you just want to go home and I know that and I've been there too. But it'll be worth it all when we see Jesus. And one, one more verse I just give you. Jesus went to Gethsemane and there it was. He his sweat, he prayed, and it became as great drops of blood, and it fell to the ground. And he came back, and he saw the disciples, and they'd went asleep. At the deepest agonizing time he had ever experienced in his life, probably the greatest conflict the world has ever known, when flesh and spirit was wrestling before the cross, he came back, and the disciples were asleep. And Jesus said this, he says, what, can't you just watch with me an hour? 
Just an hour. That's what you got left. All we've got is just a moment. It's a time to say, Lord, I'm going to be, be there. You've got me in the side. I remember a while back, I believe Brett preached up here on this. All in. Say, Lord, I'll be in. I will watch. I will wait. I will look. I will share. I will live for Jesus. All I've got is an hour. I'm out of here. All, some of us, all we've got is a day. We don't know. But Jesus says, watch. And he says, what I say to one person, I say to everyone, watch. And may God bless you all. May he give you great peace and consolation this week. Just keep living for Jesus. Look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. God bless you all. And let's just end with a word of prayer as this dear couple then shares a song. Father, tonight I, I just want to thank you for everyone that's here. I pray, God, that you would take the word and the way in which it has been shared and just take it and let it bear seed before you to your glory. Bless everyone that's here. But I want to thank you, Lord, for that great promise that you're coming again. Thank you that it can lift us up above the shadows. Oh, thank you, God, that we can look to you today and know that it will not be long until you return. And so tonight we pray, oh, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus, come. And tarry not, bring that day. And oh, may not one person here tonight miss that great and glorious day when we will see you face to face and we will know you as we are known and you will wipe away every tear from our eye. Even so come, Lord, and may all glory and honor and dominion and power be yours both now and forever. Amen.